Yeah. I do. I'm, go- I'm not texting my mom or anything. I- I've got questions for everybody on here because all the way through, I mean, I have reams of them uh, because they were great presentations. And firstly, thank you to all the speakers um, for, for great presentations. Um, I'm going to start with Shahan. Um, when you opened your presentation, you said about the uh, SCAE, SCAA water, recommended water profile. Um, having mistakes, you could see mistakes as a scientist in them, and I was just really interested to hear what those mistakes are that you think that they've made in that specification. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's working. When you, basically it's a scientific mistake. They, um, they describe very well how much minerals should be in the water, and based on that, they give the, um, the total solids that would correspond to that. And this number is simply wrong, because they forget to, to consider doubly charged and singly charged ions, and so the person who calculate that, so they basically say it should have this and this mineral, and this corresponds to this total solids in the water, and that number is wrong. So that's interesting. Because they just didn't consider doubly charged, singly charged, and things. And basically, they use the conductivity as a measure, which is not a good way to calculate the total solids. Can you give us the right number? Sorry? Can you give us the correct number? I think they give something more than 100, but actually it's more like seven. Uh, no, I have to, to, I can't tell it just now, like that. And in but the sense, it's lower than what they say. Actually, the real total solid is lower than what they say in the. Okay. Um, uh, in the sensory uh, testing that you did, um, it can be. As a scientist, did you find it frustrating uh, using humans as the the medium? Quite quite often, they can be very unreliable lab rats. You know, in in, in the feedback that they're giving, did you find that frustrating as, as a scientist? The the responses you were getting back. Well. Basically, you need sensory. There's no other way to, to get rid of sensory because that's the reality. But much of my work is to find ways to measure what people sense. So we actually, I didn't talk about it, but finding methods to measure the sensory perception or... Uh, but um, even if you work with specialists, they, they uh, vary so much. You give them the same coffee twice, they say different things. So the question is, what is a, what is a real truth and what is just anecdotal you know so we heard a lot of anecdotal stories and we're trying to bring in um, if we can something that is like a real trend or a real statement and at the end not that much is left you know even if the water in the water most of the data we showed are not significantly different in a statistical sense there are trends but in a statistical, statistical sense, they were very often overlapping standard deviations. So it's actually the human being, even if you show them the three waters at the same time, it's not like in different days. Now imagine they would taste the same water today one, the next day the other one, and describe it. That's even impossible to, to come up to a systematic feeling of a difference with the water. So sometimes I feel water is overestimated shortly said, you know, the impact of water overestimated. Yeah. All right. Um, at the SCIA symposium this year, they had um, uh, a presentation on Katura uh, against Castillo and mm-hmm. the differences between the cuppers. And the ranges that they were using were incredibly small. 
-hmm. and uh, the, the differences were one to two points, which is, you know, in a score of 100, that's very small. And we saw from your data that that was quite a small range too in lots of, lots of cases. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a better way for us to measure these things so the variances are less, so we, we can get less false positives uh, in the data that we're receiving? Actually, it doesn't matter how narrow it is. If, if you repeat with a person and he is reproducible within that range of numbers, that's what matters. So you have to test the person and you have to find out which variation in numbers is significant for this specific person. So you basically have to do the statistical test. The numbers don't matter. If it's not significant, it's not significant. If you have only values, doesn't mean anything. If you don't have any, if you don't test the variability of the person, the priority of the panel, then it's not, you have no idea, you know, whether six plus minus 10 is relevant or six plus minus 0.2 is relevant. You have to test for the significance of your numbers. That's all. I th I'm thinking in spe specifically when you see, an, a, a, say, a score of 86 for you know on a Q grader score yes. sheet, and the highest you see is an 88. The likelihood of actually hitting that by mistake, because you could just put 86, 87, 88, yeah. and you, you're narrowing the possibilities of that data being relevant so much. Do you think that, that could have given some false results in the, within the, the data? Yeah, basically I come back to what I said. You have, for each number needs uh, a variability. So mm -hmm. even if you do a Q grading, you should never give a number. You should always, always give a, a, a range of significance. Mm -hmm. So if you have 88, that's not 88, could be 88 plus minus four. Mm -hmm. And so that's why there should be always several Q graders grading, and you should do statistics on that, and not just give a number. A number is nothing in, in, a, in a statistical sense. You need uh, a judgment of the variability of that number. So you need at least three Q graders who do it, and you have to get the error standard deviation of that value, and then you know in which range that coffee is. It shouldn't be a number. And did you find cup of fatigue coming in at any time? Because it's something we see a lot where a cup of, a cup of fatigue, so as their cup in their results became less, you know, was there a, a set amount of cups that they could assess well, and then you'd see a drop off? A number, like a, a number of, no, I can't really answer that no. question, no. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> what about that, your research is, is proper science. And, and how could that be applicable to kind of our, like to us as baristas working behind the bar? What could we um, maybe in the future, uh, but learn from this and, and maybe use to make better coffee? Well, well, this kind of events helps me to understand what the questions are that barista ask you relevant. So basically I have to, it's like an interaction to find out what's relevant. But overall, you know, we have also this postgrad degree in our school that we teach. Uh, these are roaster and people. I think as a barista, um, one should be a little bit more humble sometimes to say things, you know. Well, I hear a lot of people talking about things that they are beyond of what they can know. So kind of a little bit humbleness and say what you know is sometimes much better and makes you much more credible than talking about the impact of I don't know what, you know, the pressure and the water. And really, when you check that person, he is not able to make a difference. So. I would say, as a barista, be a little bit more humble, and then you're more credible. Um, 
you were saying about the volatile compounds in the coffee early on in the presentation, um, and you were saying there were over a thousand in there, something that's been thrown out a lot, but a lot of them we can't assess or you know, taste or smell uh, within them. Um, how does that compare to other, other, you know, other food groups out there? Is a thousand a lot to have of these compounds? Is it a few? Um... Yeah. No, coffee is a complex product. So it is more <laughs> complex. You have, for example, if you go for fruits, you have just one or two aromas that basically uh, are totally, you smell an ananas or a, or a banana, it's just one molecule that makes 99% of the flavor. So particularly in fruits, it's much simpler. When you compare with uh, cocoa, we are in a similar range. A very complex fruit is, uh, in German, said erdbeeren, strawberries. That's a complex aroma, just by, as a comparison. But otherwise, coffee is complex. And the, the particularity of coffee is there is no single molecule that smells coffee. It is actually the balance all together in the right proportions gives you what you call a coffee aroma. But there is really not a single molecule that smells coffee. Whereas in other products, you can smell in vanilla typically, just one molecule that smells vanillin. And uh, so it is a complex product, but it's not thousands of flavor compounds. It's much less. And you, um, you mentioned the postgraduate degree. Uh, could you Sorry, the which degree? The, the postgraduate degree. You have the art and science of coffee. Right? Yeah. Uh, could you just explain a little bit what, what that includes? Sounds fascinating. Well, it's, um, it's a program where people from the coffee industry come. They're pre-working, and they come every Friday during eight months. And so we start from, we go to the whole value chain. Essentially, the purpose is not to make somebody who knows the whole value chain. You will never learn that in eight months, coffee. It's too, too complex. But the objective is that these are people with specific experience. Say they are coming from trading, they are coming as a roaster or as a barista. But they and they we go from the history then to the whole process, you know, to the green coffee and then roasting, grinding, extraction, different type of coffee machines, understand how they work, and then you go into sustainability aspects uh, and marketing and uh, PR even in coffee is important actually. And uh, so you learn the whole value chain, but um, so that if somebody talks to you, you have a, a general understanding of the product. But you still, it's important, even if you're a, a generalist, you have to have your key competence. There is nobody who knows everything. So you're still either working in a, in a bar, or you are a roaster, you are a trader, or you are a machine man. And in addition, you have, that's what we're trying to give to specialists, the overview of the rest. Great. I think, Shahan, we, we are going to have to get you back um, at some point. We, you were going to become a regular on this stage, I think, because it, it was a fantastic talk. Yes. Uh, uh, Ernest, I, I kind of want to come to your presentation a little now. And I, the first thing that struck me on there, you said that competitions are fun. Are they really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah? So, I well, mean, there are hard parts, definitely, like the training and can be so frustrating. But I also meant it's fun watching. Because for me, that's the best season of the year. Like WBC, I have to watch it. Like it was at night this time, but I did watch it. I loved it. What's the the primary thing you've taken from competition? What's the one thing that you've taken away and you think like that's the best thing about the competition? So be it community, be it the social aspect, be it the skills and techniques you've learned. Oh, that's a hard question. 
Um, Told you they'd be hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think I grew as a barista, and that's the best thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, these are very quick fire ones, so I am going to go. There. What's your favourite round? Like, everybody has their own preference. Is it espresso, cappuccino, or sig drink? Which Which is your favourite round of competition? Watching or <laughs> or doing it. Both. Watching definitely signature drink. Yeah. Yeah, but it's really hard to do that. So I love it and I hate it. And so what, what's your favorite signature drink that you've seen in competition? Oh, wow, there are so many. Like this year was amazing with the sous vide the beans, and then the, um, uh, what bended? Oh, with, with the, the vac vacuum, vacuum yeah. sealing machine. That was super amazing. And yeah. yeah. And it's just, yeah, so inspiring to see all these approaches to coffee. But I prefer to make an espresso. You prefer to make espresso. <laughs> it's the, the, it doesn't matter if your hand shake a little bit with the espresso. Oh, it's, yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> Always shakes, yeah. I remember you in the finals this year. You're like, I don't get nervous on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Never gets any easier. Yeah. It's so horrible, but it's so much fun. I think it's hilarious when you see like baristas that have been around for a long time and all of a sudden they get the... <laughs> yeah. no, nobody ever means to do uh, rosettas, but they... Uh, um, <laughs> So, uh, you talked about the team building part of yeah. competition. What's your favorite team moment of barista competitions? At the time you were backstage with your team, what, what, what's the funniest thing that's happened? Funniest thing? Oh, that's, uh, that's hard to say. I, I told you they were going to be hard. This is yeah. never meant to be an easy <clears throat> grilling. <laughs> funniest thing backstage. There must be something where you've turned up or something's been forgotten or you'd, you, know, you hadn't got the, the jugs you needed or the milk or somebody had to go out and fetch something. The, the strangest moment backstage. Because lots of people don't get to see backstage of a WBC. That's a thing. Yeah. It's, and it's quite often where the most fun he's had. He's yeah. um, uh, back where everybody's been silly and naughty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but everybody's also very concentrated. Yeah. Backstage, yeah. The most horrible thing I saw, lucky me, it didn't happen to me, was when um, one of the wagons just broke and everything fell off. <gasps> that was breathtaking. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so everybody was controlling oh, the thing. Wow. That's my new worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah, really. Um, how, much, how much do you train? Like, wh when did you try start training? Like um, for the for, nationals, like for the nationals and, and yeah. The well, in um, 2013, we had a very spontaneous barista championship in Germany, so we knew like in June that there were going to be competitions, and they happened in September. Okay. So I basically started when I knew that there was a competition. So it was two or three months, yeah, and then for the WBC. And that was a bit hard because we had the nationals in September, and Germany was in June. So that was such a long period, and I didn't start training right away, of course, for the WBC. And I wanted to wait for the fresh Ethiopian crop to start training. And yeah, as I said before, it was really essential to me knowing the coffee before doing the presentation. And I changed a lot from nationals to WBC. And then the hardest part, or the most intense part, was really like one or two months before the competition. Yep. Uh, if there's somebody uh, watching who's thinking of competing and, and kind of what I always try to tell is to people is just, just do that. But do you have one or, or, or a few tips that 
you, sh you should have <laughs> when you start training? Well, you need a team. You can't do it alone. That's impossible. And it's yeah, very important to work together with the roaster. You can't just go to shop, buy a coffee, <laughs> compete with that. Because um, it's very interesting also to work directly with the roaster, have that interaction, and really see what can I get out of that coffee. And then for me, it was really helpful that we really built a stage at the roastery so I could train all the moves like in real time and real setting. That was really good. And um, yeah, my violin teacher, she used to tell me, uh, when you practice, you have to practice until you know everything to 120%, because when you're on stage, you're excited, so you will lose 20%. So if you want to do 100% on stage, practice a lot. And yeah, and I, I thought about the presentation and the competition, like when I started showering in the morning, I switched on my competition music, and I went through my presentation. Well, as my personal approach, I think everybody has to find his own approach, and really the most important thing is uh, to have a great team and get to know your coffee. Have you ever uh, used the shower head as a porta filter? No, <laughs> no, I didn't do that. <laughs> I did when I was. You did. And <laughs> the first barista course, yeah. <laughs> uh, now that we're actually talking about barista competitions, I have a question for you. Uh, about okay, questions. I'm not allowed questions. About the temper tantrum thing, since I, I didn't have time to, to listen about it. So you didn't have a flight or anything to get here where you had like, maybe a spare couple of hours you could have listened to the announcement? No. So the, the world throwing, coffee throwing championships are going to happen, uh, well, for 2016, but the heats will be happening before that and you have to take a kilo of coffee and throw it as far as you can. That's basically the rules. <laughs> um, you need, uh, it has to be a kilo, it has to be in a commercially available bag, um, but the rest is up to you, so if you want to backpack it, if you want to have a very big bag so you can get a slingshot approach, uh, you can only use your hands, you can't use any implements to aid throwing. Um, do you want to put it in a bag and let it gas up with CO2 so you can kick it like a football? Who knows? Um, it's up to you. But yes, this is the new Tampa Tantrum. I, I must say that this isn't my idea either. Normally the stupid, silly ideas are mine in Tampa Tantrum, but this is 100% Colin's idea. It's definitely um, one of the more serious ones. And I, and I think it's really just so he can win a competition himself. This is the idea behind it. He thinks he stands a chance of this one and not coming fourth. So um, he's designing his own competition he can win. Um, but yeah, this is gonna be uh, big news over the coming, coming months. There'll be more and more information coming out. I think the, the first, Competition's happening in July in Ireland to find the Irish champion, and then we'll be rolling it out from there. Excellent. So anybody who wants to hold one in their own country, just let us know, and we'd be very happy to, uh, to uh, help you out with that. Excellent. I, I come from a, from a country that used to make Nokia phones, yep. and, and we have a competition of, uh, of a cell phone throwing. Oh, wow. So uh, it's in my genes. Yeah. Probably going to do this well. <laughs> I'm going to put you down as one of the favourites then. You've obviously got experience of this now. This is, uh, this is all background information. <laughs> um, going back to the competition and, and uh, the, 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 that rubbishy WBC that's going to die because the throwing championships are going to crush it. Um, there's been some rule changes that we all know about. Um, I, I think there's been a, a mixed, a, a mixed uh, feedback on them. Some people think they're positive. Some people think they're not so positive. 
if you were in charge, and really I think they should put you in charge. Um, Definitely. But if they put you in charge, what rule change would you implement straight away? What's the one thing you would love to see in barista competition change? Um, I would not allow people who ever judged to go back to the competition. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Poacher turning gamekeeper and then going back to being poacher is it's a little bit of insider information, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because there are like so many rules which you not totally understand until you judge and yeah. I mean others say that like denim is even more uh, it's even harder for an ex judge to compete again because they he knows everybody. But still, I wouldn't do that, I would be clean there, clean cut. And, and what are your thoughts on the, the rule changes? I mean, do you think, like, for instance, the grinder, you know, having to use a specific grinder, the change in the milk drinks, do you think that they're good? Do you, do you think there's something that will help the competition continue to grow? Well, um, considering the grinder, I really like the idea of leveling the field because I was talking about money earlier and not all baristas have a lot of money and we have also different countries competing. And I think it's really fair to say, okay, here's your setup don't bring the most expensive grinder, so you will end up better. I like that idea. I hope it will not go back to the grinder manufacturers, so people will say that, ah, it's only because of the grinder. So, <laughs> but no, I think that's a good one. Yeah. And considering the cappuccino, it will be interesting for the coffees, because um, if you have Eastern African light roasted coffees, it's really hard to make a good cappuccino with them and to taste the coffee. I think it is possible though. So for me, that was also a big challenge and in the end I was happy like, that I could do a tasty cappuccino with a washed Ethiopian coffee. Um, well, I think you have to do a lot of more of explaining to the judges why you chose that amount of milk and how it's interacting with the coffee, so there will be more talking in the cappuccino course. And I think that is also interesting. Do you think, do you think we'll, see, we'll see those five, six ounce cappuccinos still being presented to judges? Do you think this is the death of it and we will just see different drinks from here on in? I actually think we will see a lot of cappuccinos yeah. still, yeah. yeah. Um, and one last question. One of the members of the audience talked about the live scoring idea. <laughs> Um, and is that something that you think you'd be in favour of? Is it something you think would uh, make competition more interactive with the audience? And are there other things that we can do to bring the audience in a little more? I think that the WBC, it's really hard doing a live scoring because there's a lot of discussion going on in the background. And I don't know, at the, the Coffee Masters in London, I would have loved live scoring. And there I also would have loved to listen more to the competitors because you couldn't hear anything. But I still, I think they're still working on that. Uh, we did yeah. we, we did live scoring at the the UK um, Super Heat that we did last year, and as a national coordinator, it's one of the most stressful things I've ever ever had to uh, go through because I wanted to make sure those scores were right when they were going up there. The yeah. year before, we'd had a couple of mistakes on adding up of score sheets, and I was like, you've triple-checked that, haven't you? You've triple-checked it. Now we can put it up. But it, it added an element of um, interest for some, but some people went home because they realized oh, really? they weren't going to make it. You know, they actually didn't wait till the end. They just they knew they weren't going to make through to the finals and went. So I think it has its pluses and minuses. Do you think it's important we get the audience more involved in the competition, though? Do you think 
or are we are we fine as we are and like the audience audiences are coming to watch yeah and the audience is definitely important and yeah i mean if you're on stage and nobody's watching it's a bit sad then you're doing it just for, just for the judges um i personally prefer to watch the wbc on the screen and not live because live it's so hard to follow and to hear everything but that is hard to change as well It's like going to the football. I'm a big football fan. And you go and you, you go to football and you have a much worse seat. You cannot see as much and you don't get any commentary. Whereas on the streaming, you know, you get all of yeah. the commentary, you get better views of the cappuccinos and the espresso, and it is much, much better view. But there's nothing like the atmosphere of a WBC. Yeah, uh, that's right. And if you have a great MC and there's like action and spirit, that's amazing. But that's, yeah, something you need for the audience, like yeah. the MC and commentaries and explaining. I think the MC is the most important. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely <laughs> is the most important. Uh, uh, Give it up for the cappuccinos. <laughs> I didn't do happy clappy chinos this year, though. <laughs> they, they, they got retired this year. But, um, yes. I think he's emceed me every time that I've been on stage. Yeah. Or almost, at least. Nice. It's, it's good fun. That, that must be good for you. Um, <laughs> moving, on, moving on to T-Ball. Um, I have a rule in life, I should never really trust a lawyer, so uh, I'm kind of getting a bit worried there about the environmental lawyer part, but I quit. why the big change of career? What was the thing that kind of like went, I don't want to do this well-paid, respected job, um, I want to make... So it wasn't, drinks. well, I was in an NGO. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so I was never a hotshot lawyer giving up a career. Um, you know, it wasn't the thing for me, really, uh, and it's been years now. Uh, I wasn't motivated to do it. I found coffee and I've been more motivated than ever before. I can't seem to let this competition thing go, but I, I'm, I'm interested in your Brewers' Cup experience. Uh, 2013, Hungarian champion, went to um, Melbourne. Melbourne and finalist. Yes. Yeah. How was that experience for you as a, a, a new business at that time? Because Espresso Embassy wasn't so old then. Like, yeah, yeah, it was. Did, quite did you find being involved in that competition helped your business and and kind of made you more of a destination cafe than you already were? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it, it 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 did help. And competition. Just let me broaden the question. Like, several of uh, uh, my other baristas have competed on a national level, we've learned stuff together, we've made mistakes together, so, so it's, it's, it's been an experience that, that helped us, definitely. Um, <clears throat> preparing for the World Championships, absolutely one of the, the best points of development um, uh, I've ever had, so. Yeah. Can, can you tell me how to win the Brewers' Cup? Because I seem to be doing rubbish at it. It's well, Steve, as you may know, uh, my first uh, <clears throat> Brewers' Cup in Hungary, there were uh, two competitors. I, I, I recommend that. <laughs> so I need to nobble everybody to stop the main yeah, train. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I used uh, some coffee that you may know. Yeah. That's, that's a decaf story. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, those yeah. that don't know, Tibor used a decaf to compete in the Hungarian Brewers' competition, but didn't tell them. Um, yes. And... Uh, yeah, seems to yeah. go down quite um, well. Yeah. So anyway, that was that was an easy thing to get in, and I think that's the uh, that's uh, the advantage that we have in countries with smaller scenes. It's easier to to get out in the world uh, stage. 
but I did uh, do well in the World Championships. Uh, what I did basically, I had two rules. One is to try to uh, just say what I really know. So I, I had no tasting notes that I wasn't sure about, except the very end. Like the very, very last day, I was giving out some coffee shots to taste and everybody was saying like apricot. And I was like, I don't know, I can't recognize apricot. My sensory skills are not too... But I said, okay, but if you say so, I'll say apricot. So, you know, that was my last leap of faith. Uh, I think I was also lucky with the, uh, with the uh, what's it called, compulsory round. A bit. Yeah. So, um, good barista versus rock star barista. Is there any difference? Well, you, you're referring to my... Yeah. To the presentation where we're talking about you know, employing a rock star barista and employing a good barista. Should yes, there, there really is. be any there difference is. between the two? I mean, well, you know, I, I, with rock star barista, I was referring to people who have the compulsive uh, thing that they want to charm people all the time, you know. I don't know if you know any people like that who like to be funnier. No. no. Um, and, and that's great, but, you know, uh, and, and again, they will be like focal points of a bar and, you know, everybody will notice them. But that's just one personality trait, I think, that exists in the world. And, and it's awesome that there's some people that don't have that urge and can maybe do more meaningful things. I'm also criticizing myself here. So there's a difference between very, very extroverted people and people who have who are concentrating on other things. Um, you had some really good points on, on hiring, uh, but have you ever had to fire someone? No. Almost. Yeah. I mean, that as, as a cafe owner as well, um, I had one instance where I really should have hired somebody, fire, fired somebody. Uh, it was, uh, <laughs> no, luckily not. Oh. Uh, I, but I had a barista and it just wasn't working out and, and sort of while she was on probation, we should have just ended it, but I, I didn't. And um, um, yeah, it's really, really tough trying to be tough when you have to be. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I hate it. And there was there were some points of conflict and uh, periods of conflict in the cafe, and it was difficult. We did actually use a friend of ours as like a team development coach. So we actually used coaching. We went to therapy, and it was useful. Uh, not only with regards to that conflict, but in general. So that that's what we did. But I I I really don't want to get into <laughs> positions of firing. Yeah. No. I I think. I, I Colin, I just mean Colin, we're very closely at 3FE, and, and Colin's actually really comfortable with firing people. He's very into it. He does it very well. And, and I've, I've employed now for uh, 10 years nearly, and I've never had to fire anybody. And I kind of see it almost as a fault in myself that I don't, because sometimes you need to, some people, for everybody to be happy, needs to be let go. Is there other ways you deal with that? If, like you said that you've had some staff leave, were you happy that they, some of them left, or was it a kind of like this wasn't working and a mutual agreement to leave more than firing? Um, it's very few people who left, like, uh, three, I think. Yeah. So, you know, Juju went to London and, you know, I helped her get a job and all that. Uh, I'll stop saying names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, one of one one barista just came in and she just felt it wasn't for her. Very friendly, you know. After a while, okay, now I want to do something else. Great, 
And, uh, and then one barista of mine got a managerial manager's job in another coffee shop, um, which again, you know, even though I would like to raise wages, but you can't make everybody a, a manager. So it's awesome if somebody gets an opportunity outside. So that's, that's, that's how they left. What was the question? I can't remember. But anyway, the, it's, it's this, uh, yeah, it was this kind of therapy thing or kind of working on our issues. Um, that's and we talked, one of the questions was about employing customers. Um, have you ever employed friends or family uh, in the business? And, and has that ever posed any problems if you've done that? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, then he hasn't posed any problems in doing that then. Exactly. <laughs> no, and also, uh, like I, I have an experience early on in my lawyer career. I was, uh, I, or NGO career. I was like, I was like an intern somewhere and great friends with the boss. And then he put out an ad and he didn't hire me, even though I was the great friend. He hired somebody more enthusiastic. And, um, you know, I so, I so respected that. <laughs> so he didn't hire his friend. And uh, I think that's, that's the way to go. Also, we do kind of avoid getting, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends on board, even though there are some in our, with the, within the, our baristas. We try to not do that as possible. I'm, I, I'm asking for a, for a friend here, but um, it's not for me at all. But, like, at work, do you find the people that, you're employing become friends as well and do you find those boundaries sometimes get walked over because I know you quite well and I know that you're a very friendly guy and you do get on with everybody do you find that because you get your friends with everybody that those sometimes boundaries get crossed over this isn't asking for me it's for a friend <laughs> um, I think uh, for me uh, instinctively you have to be aware of the situation. So, so you are friends, but you want to give each other the kind of respect and understanding that we may enjoy our company right now and we're hanging out with each other more than anybody else. But I do employ you and I do owe you, you know, to, be, to pay you on time or to give you overtime and you owe me to be there on time and if you're late for six minutes we agreed and you will not get your tips because uh, that's the agreement and if we have that you know as a basis of our relationship I think it can work I've seen some bad ex uh, bad uh, uh, you know uh, examples of people being like hey you're my best friend you know you work for me you're the best I love you and then horrible treatment <laughs> horrible treatment you know, you said you wouldn't bring Dale up. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, keep that. Like, don't you think that by being friends, you still don't have to have a good relationship on both sides? It is a working relationship. I also add some small, simple things. Like, you know, in Hungary, we kiss. You know, with men and women kiss on the cheek when they meet. You know. I would do that like if we we're at a party with the with the others, and so we're kind of in friend mode. When you come to work, you know we, you know we you don't. You kind of show some kind of extra professionalism. Um, so kind of put those points to remember that is it, it is a professional relationship above all. And wrapping this up because we are running out of time and everybody's hungry and wants to go and eat. Um, barista competition. 
and getting a job seems to be kind of quite similar and seem to go like quite hand in hand. You were talking about attention to detail, point scoring. Do you think barista competition and like job applications have that link? And do you think that you can see the skills transfer across the two at the two times, are there, somebody that puts in a great CV, are they going to be kind of better at those barista competition uh, environments? I, I can tell you from my experience, we did go once to a barista competition to kind of hunt for talent and it worked great. Yeah. That I can say. Fantastic. So um, this is your opportunity to ask a couple more questions uh, to the panel if you haven't had a chance uh, earlier and that we might have brought up some new points. So has anybody got any more questions for our panel here? You meant to go, yes, I have. Because I can carry on with mine, but you're just going to listen to me monologue with everybody. So, okay, well, we can go back to Shahan. And I, I kind of, um, I want to go back to, uh, you were talking about baristas sometimes pretending to know more than they really do. Um, do you think that there's the potential to go the other way, that scientists don't necessarily understand as, as much about the preparation of coffee uh, as the baristas do? Yeah, sure. And I don't want to say it really. I mean, barista, there are, uh, sometimes you hear that, but I don't want to say that baristas say that in general. I'm not here to criticize anybody. And as a scientist, we're always too low profile because as, as long as we haven't seen the numbers, we think there is no impact of damping, the water has no impact, and the temperature has no impact as long as you have seen it, you know, as in numbers. Whereas baristas say, are pretending that since years, you know, I'm quite confident that there's a difference. So, yeah, we are on the, we are like, uh, we need to see the numbers. And I think uh, I'm learning a lot from the baristas, actually, as much as I can. I don't have, I mean, in my daily contact, I have people working with me who are baristas, but uh, it's not that like I'm, uh, I'm working in a bar, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's for me important to know what they do, what they say, what they believe there are differences, impacts, what matters in, a, in doing a proper cup. And, uh, and then we try to provide some numbers, but we're never where the baristas intuitively know already what matters. We're just trying to supply some kind of a basis behind that. And where do you see uh, this research going in the longer term? Do you see expanding um, the, the, the focus of it? Are you going to go back and, and you know, look at other, you know, because obviously one piece of data on its own one study on its own, sorry, doesn't necessarily give you a conclusive answer. Will you be going back and do more of these, these studies on top of to build, keep building the data? Yeah, we do all kind of other studies. You know, we, our major research is on roasting. Understand how aroma is formed during roasting, how you can impact it by temperature profiles, by variety and all kind of pretreatment even, you know, how the quenching is impacting the quality, how the atmosphere is impacting. We even roast under pressure, you know, to see what flavor profiles you get. So the roasting is a very important part of the whole coffee world, actually. It's where you generate the aroma. But then from there on, it's not like a, the product is living, you know. From roasting on, whatever happens will impact the cup. So you have to, for example, a field which is really not studied at all is grinding. We, we cannot, we, we have hardly any knowledge, you know, about grinding. And today we're fixing now the grinder to one particular brand and I can't say really what's the impact. You know, last uh, Barista World Championship, there was a discussion about uh, temperature stability of the grinder. I don't know if, if uh, how that matters. Grinding is a kind of a, 
era, very little is done. So we'd like to go into that. But we will not go if there is not a company pushing us a little bit. You know, we have other stuff to do. We always wait for companies who are in the business who say, we care about that, you know. So if they don't come, we're not going into grinding. We would like that the company who do the grinder take initiatives. And not only the barista world, you know. So, And, uh, and then the water is, I think, for me, you know, in the SEAE, the subjects that we're going to follow the, the next two years is, Right now, we'd like to work on freshness, and then the next subject will be extraction. So we'd like to focus on understanding the impact of water, temperature, and pressure on the extraction process, and, um, and also review the, the comparison between fully automatic and, semi and uh, professional. You know, where the fully automatic, it's like, that's more kind of an interest in my research also, is um, not judge the cup, does it matter how you, which machine you use? If you just look at the cup, you don't know how it was prepared, you know? What kind of machine you have been using? Because we see a lot of progress in the fully automatic techniques. And I know in the barista world, it's just not accepted. You know, you go to an event, there's no fully automatic machine uh, presented. That's another subject which I think we'll also discuss in the future. If you judge the cup, where are the fully automatic people, even if for you it's not so relevant, for me it's a relevant subject. And then the last subject we work since many years is, can you predict the sensory profile by measuring it? Yeah. Um, just, you were talking about the, the, the freshness and, and measuring that by aroma and, and the carbon dioxide. And what, um, at least I didn't quite get it, uh, is that what role does the carbon dioxide play in the, the sort of sensory profile of the coffee? Like how important is it for brewing and, and is there something we should understand or know about that? Well, CO2 has m different roles, you know. If a coffee is too fresh and you, you, have, you extract it, then what happens is that immediately in the portafilter, you know, in, uh, it's, it starts to, to release CO2. Immediately the pressure increases and your flow of the, of the water decrease. So basically, if you have too much CO2, you will create an additional pressure, you know, which will prevent the water to flow, and then you will have much lower. So if the same coffee is a little bit uh, older, with little less CO2, you have less flow. So basically, the CO2 will have an impact how much you can put coffee in it to have a reasonable flow. So too fresh will slow your flow. That's one thing. But that's, the barista can handle that. The second thing, of course, you have no crema without CO2. The um, crema in, a, in, a, in espresso is directly linked to the amount of CO2 because that's what creates the crema. So if you have no crema, you have probably, it means it's not fresh, but it doesn't mean if your coffee is fresh, you will have a crema. It's only the potential for crema, you know? So if your coffee is fresh, you have also to brew it properly to get a good crema. So the crema is a direct link to it. And then it will affect a little bit also the acidity of a coffee because CO2 with water creates an acid. It will increase the acidity of your coffee if, if it's too fresh. Yep. And, and that was for espresso. What about for filter coffee or brewing? The, the impact of, of CO2. I think it's not quite as yeah. important. Well, when you do the brewing, you, you first, you, of course, you wet your coffee to get a little bit of CO2. So you have basically, you have the process such that you get rid of the CO2 in the first moment, 
and then you make it more homogeneous for the, for the last 200 milliliters to brew. So it, you have to adapt your brewing technique on it, and then it will only affect basically the flavor profile. It will affect a little bit the acidity of your coffee. If it's uh, fresh, you will have a little bit more acidity. It's very fresh. Just because of the CO2, which is an acid itself, which creates, it's not an acid, it will form an acid in the water. Erna, I, I kind of want to ask, kind of carrying on this topic of uh, study and this research that's been done, how important do you think research is um, for us to be getting better at coffee? And is there anything that you'd particularly like to see scientists like Shahan focusing on and looking at? Yeah, I think uh, science is super important because, as you said, many baristas just tend to say, yeah, I do like that because I heard something but you don't really know it and you don't really prove it and as a barista. But as a scientist, you can do that. You can have a systematic, methodical approach to a question and then see if it really matters. So I think that is very important to get better and to understand coffee better because I think there's still so many things in coffee which we do not understand, like for example, what happens during roasting. There are so many things. Um, I was wondering, during your presentation, you showed us how um, the flavor was extracted from a coffee and the time impact, and you said that basically between 20 and 30 seconds, you can cut it off, uh, 20 and 30 seconds, you can cut it off because then everything's out. Have you tested that with different coffees? Because from my experience, there are some coffees which I can extract much longer and they taste amazing. Is that because of the soluble parts? So the roasting profile and the variety, or is there some other reason? Well, first of all, the first experiment I showed where after 20 seconds you have hardly no aroma coming were capsules. With a freshly roasted coffee, you would say it still goes longer. But uh, the impact of the coffee, I cannot say that scientifically, but I, I just believe that if you have a light roast, you will have a, a longer extraction, you have a, um, and you will have aroma coming on a longer time scale uh, if you have a light roast compared to a dark roast, which will come just straight away. But three, I'm already talking now uh, what I think could be, you know? I, I don't, I can't tell it, but I, that's my, my feeling, my experience, say it that way. But um, otherwise, in general, I believe that beyond 60, 60 milliliter, it's basically dilution. Uh, even the best coffee. It's just my, from what I have seen, I haven't seen much coming after 60 milliliter. But that's already a very long cup for most of you, you know? <laughs> you know, so. So between 30 and 40, you have still changes coming. Between 40 and 50, still things happening. But beyond 50 and 60, then you're basically only water. That's really unrelevant. Yeah. But not even bad stuff? Because we're like, then you're going to over-extract, it's going to get bitter, and the bad stuff is going to... Some people say they're going to get cancer, right? <laughs> From what comes after six seconds, yeah. Well, there is actually, when you look at the color, you also see that's coming much less, you know. And I'm talking about dorm. So there are the volatiles and what things that smell. That comes really fast. And then you have over longer time, you have things that don't smell, which create still the body a little bit. 
But since you are adding water, your body is going down anyway, you know, so even the small amount that you extract for the body. And the bitterness compounds, these are, we call these uh, clogenic acids. So they come, they come later, you know. But at the end, the added water will anyway destroy your body. So um, but it's not, but there's something coming after 60, non-volatiles, a little bit. Just that uh, um, I've recently started preferring espressos with kind of lower strength, uh, kind of having more water in the cup, just because I feel that I can taste it better. If I have a, an espresso that has a TDAs of, of 10%, uh, sometimes feels like it's, it's really thick and just too much for my mouth. And I've started preferring something like 8.5. Um, so do you have any, any sort of thoughts about that? Or, or other panelists? Just, uh, that's like, these are things people have to play around because that's like the world of coffee, you know, you have to experience and discover. Eventually, you know, I don't know, I, many years ago, I extracted whole beans without grinding. You have aroma in whole bean extracts, you know, roasted beans, and you have hardly any body. It's a, it's a clear liquid. So you could play around and then you will find out what you like and that's kind of the world that is opening now. People do all kinds of extraction techniques and experience with the product and there are many more experiences to discover. Some, you can basically try to get a coffee which has no body at all, you know, with the whole bean but it has only, it's a clear, it's like a tea, you know, a tea-like and, um, and that's why you see the filter coming back. The filter coffee has uh, allows to many people now to experience the taste in a different way, you know, without the bitterness, without the aggressive element that some people consider is in, in espresso. So I guess um, there is so much open and there is no like a good and a bad coffee, you know, so it's, I mean, still we have the Q grader and I think that's a big, big help, the Q grader sheet to have, to put numbers on coffees. I find that very important, but uh, it still shouldn't, block the imagination and the creativity and perhaps that's what we have in the competition you know eventually we're blocking the standard drinks you know but you still have the creative element at the end like the third block so you can come with uh, whatever you want so um, coffee is still uh, a lot to learn you know cold brew what's that is that good or is that awful I don't know you know Tibor um, I'm gonna kind of come to you next and, and, and talk about Focusing on the research idea, is there somewhere you'd like to see researching uh, specialty coffee go in a particular direction? It pertains to both discussions. I was uh, watching and judging some competitions, and my feeling was that what I would need to learn is sensory skills the most, and I feel that that's somehow maybe for a lot of us. And if I may ask, uh, Kahan, the uh, the st stuff like the, the sensory score, uh, the, the taster's wheel, for example, and the whole way how we taste coffee. Is that something that seems meaningful uh, or is it silly? And do you think that your research might bring a new flavor uh, tasting wheel? No. Well, perhaps you're talking about the SCAA tasting wheel with all the attributes. Um, when you do sensory evaluation and you want to be consistent, you want to repeat and you want to have the same profile, you have to come, to come up with a small number of attributes because you will never be reproducible. So I think now the question is how good the, the tasters are trained. It needs a lot of training. You can work with eight attributes, you can work with 12 attributes, 
beyond 12 attributes getting very difficult to have a, a good panel, you know. Uh, and I think the more experienced you are, the more you will understand to limit yourself on the relevant, but at least to be good on these. I was just thinking that that I know that like I I don't have any you know chemistry knowledge, but I heard like the the strawberry that the thing where we feel a strawberry and Ethiopian naturals, uh, that's a thing. That's a chemical, and it's found in trees, and they use it for yogurt. So that's a thing that's really chemically definable, but maybe. And then I suppose there's a couple of others like this. And then I suppose on that huge flavor wheel, there's a bunch of things that would be very difficult to pinpoint to a, a chemical, and maybe they're just, you know, misleading us somehow. I don't know what, what your feelings are. This is part of research today. So, you know, when you have, say, these 25 compounds, each one has a descriptor. One is roasty, the other one is fruity, and then one smells like, a, like the, the pee pee of a cat, you know? Really, they smell, or some smells like a rose, you know? And then so we have groups, you know, we have the greeny, the PC uh, compounds, and you know that from the Le Nez du Café, I don't know, you know, all these compounds. So, But what is very difficult scientifically is when you have these compounds are PC green, uh, they are more in your analytics, and then the, the, the people evaluate it, that it also in the sensor evaluation, the coffee comes more green or PC, because it's always a balance of different things. So if you have at the same time that coffee has more acidity, it will cover up the bitterness, the sweetness will disappear. So the chemicals alone are, it's very, very difficult because you have more flowery compounds, your coffee will be more flowery because all the other attributes will cover up, will impact, will interact. So, and that's the challenge actually, it's not so easy just because you have more of these flowery compounds, your coffee is more flowery. So I'm going to take advantage of having my own pocket scientist with me. Um, I'm going to take you everywhere with me. And I don't know if you saw this year in the World Barista Championships, but uh, Erna alluded to it earlier, a guy called Ben Putt from Canada took his espressos and put them in a vacuum sealing chamber and took them out. And the espresso tasted completely different the espresso that was pulled from the same machine. Can you give us some science on what was happening there and what was changing and what's, what, what's different in those espressos? No. <laughs> I'm so hoping for the answer. I think like, I, think I, I can... No, I, uh, I, I was talking with Ben, um, and, and I think the idea was that the, the vacuum uh, sort of boils, boils the espresso as low as the, the pressure and boils at a lower temperature. And that gets rid of the carbonic acid, which is basically carbon dioxide uh, dissolved in the liquid. If that would be like a theory to test, because when you when you eva evacuate, you will drive off all the volatiles. You know, so you will ev basically evacuate the volatiles. The CO2, perhaps because it's the smallest molecule with a very high vapor, uh, with a high volatility, will come first. And if you don't do it too much you will perhaps evacuate first the CO2, which will create acidity, and the aroma much less. So it's like a selective evaporation of the CO2, but then it's probably a very, very freshly roasted coffee, where you have a lot of CO2, you will set that impact. Eventually, that's what happened, you know? And if you do it just the right time, you haven't really uh, eliminated the aroma. If you do it too, long, too much, you will eliminate the aroma also, because putting a vacuum on a freshly roasted coffee is not good in principle. 
Um, as, as somebody kind of in coffee now, but on the outside of coffee, uh, what do you, when you see barista competitions, have you seen any of the competitions at all? What, what's been your thought of like, what, why are they doing that? Because I'm always intrigued to hear from people from outside what they think of what we're, we're doing in coffee. No, I'm trying to learn more. I'm, I'm not trying to, to just, often I actually, it's very difficult as an observer to see the difference between the one who did win and the one who was sixth. I just don't see that, you know. I mean, they, they all do perfect shows, you know. So you see difference in personality. It's very difficult for me by looking to, to say what, what their score is. And uh, so there are people I like, uh, you know, who have a good, good, I don't know, good personality, which is very important. But the real, my, my problem is that I don't see the difference between the first and the sixth, you know, when you judge. You have to see the numbers. So it's, for me, it's very untransparent, not transparent, actually the numbers and uh, I would like to have it more. That's why I like the cup tasting because it's very transparent, you know. I mean, either you, are, you have the, you know which one is different or not. In the barista competition, I don't see the difference anymore between the first six as, a, as an observer. How do we change that view um, in competition? That, because I think that's something that's become very common. Everybody says, you know, the top six they're split by a hair, and sometimes they're split by half points, one points between the. How do we change that so people looking in from the outside can, you know, w would not see that and, and make it more transparent? I'm going to start with you, Tibor, because I'm going to pick on you. Because uh, Erna's looking at me, going, "Give me more time. Let me think about this." <laughs> I, first of all. The, I'm sorry to take it philosophical, but how what, is there actually a better barista among the six? Well, that's what we're trying to find out is with there, the score sheet, isn't it? Uh, I'll leave it at that. Grand statement. Okay. I'm, I mean, there's there's somebody who's better at playing the game uh, based on a certain set of rules, I think. But did you have anything to add to that, Steve's question? No, but I just thought about something you asked me earlier. How could it be more interesting for the audience? And that is exactly what you just said. It would be great to let people taste the coffee. Because the presentation can be wonderful, but the coffee can be really crappy. You, you can't taste it. So, yeah, there's no, no way of judging from the outside. But that's also difficult. Because then afterwards somebody can go there and hey, but I tasted coffee from the sixth, and it was way better than number one. And so there would be more discussions. But it would be more interesting for the audience if they could taste the coffee. I think actually this year in Seattle, there was an espresso bar where the, the people who didn't make it to the second round were serving their coffee. That was actually great. I got to taste. I mean, um, yeah. so, I mean, the most hardcore thing that you could imagine, but that's actually not making it more transparent, but in terms of like, is... Yeah, judges sitting in a secluded box, not seeing who is the competitor, tasting the four coffees, secluded from each other, putting out a score just on taste, just sensory. Now, for that, I think we would need the judging thing to be strengthened a lot, uh, to have that, especially on a world level. But there you go. So, um, this is a question for, for all of you, and I, I'm kinda, I'll come to you all in time, but if anybody wants to grab the mic straight away to to dive in, please do, but barista 
Barista Guild, Barista Camp, we had the camp this year, we're doing this event now. Do you feel that this is the, the, the way that the barista craft is going, that we're moving away from competition and we're focusing more on education and the social aspects of coming together in an event like this, in an event at Barista Camp? Or can the two cohabit with each other and, and, and live... Uh, live together and will the WBC be about after the World Coffee Throwing Championships start? So uh, who wants to answer that first? I think the, the competi competition just has to be in my opinion because and then you can have all kind of things around it but you know it's it's like a running 100 meter championship, world championship it's a very artificial situation. People run 100 meter under very specific conditions. But that somehow you need that to have also the people in the broad, you know, go doing their jogging. You know. There's, it's kind of the tip of the thing. The problem is now we have less and less competitors on this championship because in, ed in order to have a chance, there's so much more to be done before. The, the work ahead of a competition is getting bigger and bigger. You cannot just come as a novice, as somebody I've never done coffee. And, uh, but I think we, we definitely need the competition. It's just, that's like the top chefs, you know, and then everybody below will somehow, uh, it will be like a magnet, you know, for the rest. Even if it's very artificial, I think uh, very, very important, the competition. And even if it's not transparent, it's a big event, you know. I mean, I love the atmosphere. It's nice to be there and to enjoy the thing. And then it's, this one did win and not the other one. I don't know why, and the second, and in the round before, the other one was much better, and he is now fourth. It's, it's the game, you know. It's a game, and it's the game is worth doing it. It's a fantastic event. So, uh, but it has to stay. Thibaut, um, I've been somewhat involved uh, with the Barista Guild, and I will uh, tell you that uh, not everything is thought out, uh, not just not pertaining to this event, it is, but the future, where it goes. And, uh, and the people who formed it, initiated it, did not plan everything out. So I, I do think that this is not uh, just a question for the panel, this is an open question, like what we think, you know, as people, how we should hang out, what is useful. These forms are not set. I had this, this, I had this one idea, I'm throwing it out, but you know, you could throw one back at me the same way. We should get together, uh, maybe somewhere, uh, get our wonderful sponsors maybe to help us with machines and just do experiments. And maybe you could help us, tell us what to do, you know, or we want, you know, help us set it up. And maybe it's like fully scientific or not fully scientific, but we're just working on that, tasting, getting all these sensory slash other experiences that are difficult to get in a working environment in a cafe. I think many of us face that because we don't have unlimited resources to coffee, equipment, time, space. We read about it and we believe it. Like, uh, this should taste better. You taste it? Yeah, probably. It would be awesome to get together and, and put resources together and that would be collaborative as well. For example. And do you think education is in, as, uh, just as important as having the competition and that opportunity for people that may not win their national competitions to still come and participate as, you know, as we're all doing here. Yeah, I think actually education is much more important than competitions. Like the competition is like, it's fun and 
Yeah, it's fun watching, you can enjoy it, the spirit is great, but education concerns everybody. And that is super important. And if you want to move forward as an industry, we need to educate everybody. And I personally, I want all of it. I want competitions and I want Brewster Guild events and because I love coffee people getting together. It's so much fun. And, and I mean, I think for me, the problem was that when I started working in coffee, there was no way, no place you can go and learn about it and, and, and kind of get any qualified in any way. And for me, competing has worked as a, as a sort of qualification that if you win a national championships, then you kind of, your people know that you are at a certain level. But I think not everybody can do that. And I think we need focus and, and invest more on the education stuff. And, and that's why I love being part of the, the Barista Guild as well, sort of building more formal structure for, for barista profession. So I'm coming back to you, Tibor. And I'm coming back to you on, uh, it was actually a comment from a member of the audience was about if, there's, if somebody comes to me with a qualification, then I'll actually see it as a negative more than a positive because you've got to unlearn some skills of the people that have, have had that qualification. I think it was more like about the general barista courses out there. Yeah. And no, no, no. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That's what I mean. The, 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 yeah. And I don't think there's one course that necessarily umbre umbrellas that we all think that's a good course, you know, that's really good. And if somebody came to me with that, I would give them a job in a heartbeat. Why do we have such a downer on education courses? And what should we be ch changing and training in new baristas that we would have a qualification that we all respected as an industry? Okay. I know it's not short, easy. Yeah, short, but I'll try to answer short and then <clears throat> but in two parts. I think there could be certain uh, qualifications, which is like taster's qualifications. If the Q grading test is difficult to pass, or any other test, if it's difficult, if there is you know, no interest for you to pass, uh, um, it's a hard test, and you pass it, means you're qualified. And this is great, and means you can taste. That's one thing. It's another thing to have a qualification that will give you a job. There's probably no such qualification in any other field, like, you know, because there's so many factors, including personality and whatever else, that you cannot guarantee. Yes, yeah, sure. You show me a qualification. Oh, great. You can, you know, make a filter coffee 22%. Great. Um, but it cannot guarantee a job, and it shouldn't be able to. Erna? Is there anything that you think about the, the educational qualifications we have at the moment in coffee that could be made better, that we could actually improve? Um, so we, they would have more respect when, not necessarily walk into a job, but you'd go, this person obviously knows what they're talking about. Whereas at the moment, we look at the qualifications and go, we don't know if they do know what they're talking about or not. They may have just got the qualification. Um, I think that you need more time, like during training. There are so many qualifications which require like one or two days of training, and you can't become a barista in one or two days. That's impossible, you all know that. It's a lot of experience. So, I mean, of, of course, I also give courses, and I think the coffee diploma system is a good approach, but still, as barista, yeah, you need to train and gain experience, and that you can't really prove. So it would be great if there would be like, maybe not a university diploma, but 
something where you have to train and learn for a year or maybe so you really get experience. And if you had a diploma like that, I think it would be respected. But in the end, it counts what you can do. So if somebody applies and says, hey, I'm a barista, I would tell them, okay, make two espressos and two cappuccinos and I would really know a lot after that. Shahan, I know it's not necessarily your, your area of expertise, but what do you think from the education you've seen within coffee we could do better? Well, what do you think um, where, where we could smarten up from an education background? Well, you know, coffee is an incredible big field, you know, so if, uh, if you work in that field, it's like a, it's a whole world in itself, you know. I mean, you, are, you have to know about farmer, about uh, the origin countries, all the way to coffee machines, technologies, coffees itself. So it's an incredibly big field to know about. So I believe still what's important is that the, the barista world is like the pull for, for, for us to develop knowledge, you know, because... Um, one of the big things that we, as a scientist, you come, you talk two hours about something, and then the whole audience says, so what, you know? So what, I mean, what are you doing here? We don't care about that, you know, because it has no link to reality. And that's the biggest challenge for us, because uh, the, the baristas ask the right questions, and doing research is not, is not cheap, it's complex, and so they can't do the research themselves often. So that's why um, we can, take some up, but the problem for us is that the barista today, actually, they ask very good questions. But the education level in the last six years has totally changed. You know, I mean, the level of discussions is no, has nothing to do like six years ago. So there's so much happening through the diploma systems, SEAA, SEAE. So I guess the education is incredibly, is incredible right now what's happening at all levels. So, um, it's very important because it creates a different type of discussion. It creates, and at the end, one of our objectives to break, to have a better cup, you know, to have a better cup of coffee that we all consume. So the cup, the cup quality is, is kind of a central element of all what we do. And um, we have a lot of education and we have to, for example, in very basic, um, the people who teach should also get audited. The schools who teach should be audited. You know, at, at some point you have to bring some kind of a rational process into the teacher also. Because when you go into school, you have to have uh, competent people also. So there's a process going on, but I see it, it's going on right now. It's incredible, the increase of knowledge and the type of discussion we're having. It's fantastic. Well, I think it's been a very interesting panel discussion. Thank you very much uh, for all of you participating. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been a great morning. Thank you very much. Big round of applause, please, for our speakers this morning. Thank you.